Hi everybody, just before we start this week's show, we've got an exciting announcement to make, and that is that our half-sister show, our sort of semi-sibling show, The Museum of Curiosity, is coming back. Absolutely. It's a show on BBC Radio 4. It takes place on Mondays, starting from the 20th of February at 6.30 in the evening. And even more excitingly, our half-podcast sister, (laughs) Anna Tashinsky, is starring in this year's series. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, The show is hosted by John Lloyd, the father of QI. It's a sort of fictional museum, an imaginary museum, and every week they have brilliant guests submitting strange and wonderful and imaginary objects to the museum. John is uh, the director of the museum and Anna, this series, is going to be the curator. So that's really exciting. Absolutely. If you love No Such Things a Fish and if you love QI, you will absolutely love Museum of Curiosity. And just to remind you, it's on Monday the 20th of February at 6.30 and for the subsequent six weeks. Okay, on with the podcast. On with the show. Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Andy. My fact is that there's a type of moss called political moss jesus is there yeah well that's a great question dan no there isn't what well thank thank you for bringing it to the show no wait a minute your fact is that there isn't a type of moss called political moss so no what this fact is that phrase there's a type of moss called political moss is something that a listener got in touch with okay a listener called bo stuckey and he had been in touch with chat gpt which is a newish kind of artificial intelligence conversation bot, basically, that's one of the most powerful ever created. But in fact, I think it might be the most powerful ever created. At time of recording. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, if you're listening to this after the revolution, it's the second most powerful <laughs> ever created. Uh, and if you're scurrying through rat holes and, you know, like eating old packaged food and fleeing the robots, then yeah. Anyway, but ChatGPT is currently best in show. And um, he asked ChatGPT to come up with an episode of Fish about that fact of political moss. And it came up with... I would say a pretty good transcript. Okay. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Well, can we can we read the transcript and just see how it? How well, it you've, you've passed them around to all of us, so it feels yeah. like we've got no choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So everyone has a name here except me. I'm host, I guess. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Welcome back to the show, which we never say. No. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dan. With me today, we have James, Anna, and Andy. So, Andy, what do you have for us today? Well, I've got a real doozy. Did you know there's a type of moss called political moss? Political moss? That sounds like something out of a dystopian novel. No, no, no. It's a real thing. Apparently it was discovered in the 1800s by a botanist named William Jackson Hooker. And get this, it's called political moss because it prefers to grow in areas with high levels of pollution. Hey, funny. Funny chat, GPT. What? Sorry, what? I've gone off script. Yeah, well, I'm so on, sorry. <clears throat> right, back in the game. Wow, that's really interesting. So it's like a canary in a coal mine for environmental pollution. Yeah, I can see how that would make sense. (laughs) 
And I bet it would be a good indicator for scientists studying the effects of pollution on plants. Exactly. That's incredible. <laughs> I never would have thought that something as small as moss could have such a big impact on our understanding of the environment. I think we need more political moss in the world, children. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I think we all do. And that's it for today's episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. Join us next week for more fascinating facts and interesting tidbits. Or tidbits. Not titbits. <laughs> titbits is fine. Titbits. Oh, right. wow. This is not in the chat beat no. script, by the way. We should do a podcast called Show Us Your Titbits, and it's just interesting facts. Uh, That's great. Written on people's breasts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. So anyway, that was painful. What, um, Did we what, think it was realistic? It wasn't. No, it wasn't, because no. we're not that worthy. There was no mention of the word penis in there. No, yeah, right. That's true. There was no pun. Didn't see a pun anywhere. No mention of golf. No. No. Could we call it a pun that it's high levels of pollution and it's talking about metaphorical pollution in the world of politics? It really yeah, sure. makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't work, does it? So is political moss real or not? No. No, it just might be. I mean, the details are all here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think Bo Stuckey, our listener, came up with the idea of political moss and yeah. then he saw what ChatGPT could come up with. Wow. I did check if there was a political moss. Yeah. There isn't no. one. No. Right. <clears throat> There's no. some politicians called moss uh, <laughs> and there is a political word, a moss back. Uh, in America, that's an extreme conservative, is a moss back. Really? And the idea is that it came from when people tried to dodge the draft in the Civil War. Uh, people from the Carolinas who tried to hide from the draft were called mossbacks because it was as if they were putting moss on their backs <laughs> and hoping that well, people go past. Uh, and then it came, later became to mean sort of reactionaries um, and then it later became to mean conservatives. I'm not quite sure where the link came, but that's Oh, I like it. that because it's a bit like the Rolling Stone gathers no moss. Yeah. You know, and then you've stayed in one place for so long with all your opinions staying the same that now you've got moss on your back. It could be that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, that. it would make sense for a conservative, yeah, without that context. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's their policy. Yeah. So ChatGPT, it's, it's, it's really good at certain things. Mm -hmm. yeah. As in, I asked it for ideas for a birthday party and it came up with some great suggestions. Oh, yeah. Go on. That was fine. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, well, it was, it was, it was just... It, it wasn't... I didn't write them down, but I just thought, <laughs> right. God, those are great ideas. Okay. But remember, you can't, can't remember, remember any of them. <laughs> Like, was it really? sort of top of the Eiffel Tower or just tea and cake with your mum? It was more like principles behind a birthday party, like invite people and, um, you know. <laughs> and we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I Actually, I think that is one of the big problems with chat, uh, what's it called? Chat GPT, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that is that it's really good at making things that are theoretically correct. It's good at grammar. It's good at making words that fit after each other, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily think like a human thinks. Mm. So if you t say to someone, give me a good idea for a party, they might say, pirates vodka let's go to the top of the eiffel tower yeah. but the computer thinks you mean invite people you know yeah. i was quite grateful for that i was and I, in fact it showed me where i've been going wrong a few yeah. years in a row now with my parties pirates um, and vodka when is your daughter's first birthday party again? <laughs> ah, there's one great thing about chat gpt which is it, it has um it warns you it may occasionally produce harmful instructions or biased content so it no and it's, it's because it's broad it literally has hoovered up trillions of words from all over the internet that's quite so. good isn't it because yeah. i know a lot of humans who don't realize that they're doing that <laughs> exactly <laughs> so it's aware of itself and also the other great thing about it is it has limited knowledge of world and events after 2021 and i did try i asked it who is liz truss and it says she's the Secretary of State for International Trade. Oh. It's just a simpler time. How many of you guys have a um, a smart speaker? Uh, yeah, like an got, Alexa thing. You've got one. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think you've you've got, I've got a Google thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Anna, I bet you don't. I am a smart speaker, Andy. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but no, I don't have one. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's roughly where I thought the three of you would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you? How do you address them? Do you say please? No. You say, "Hey, fucker." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oi. Play, play me some music now. And it better be something I like. Okay. And no. come the revolution, James. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that again is broadly in line with what you'd expect because men are much less polite to their smart speakers um, oh, really? than women. Okay, the men say please forty five percent of the time. It still feels quite high, uh, and women sixty two percent. Yeah, I don't um, say please. I'm sorry to say, I've never said no. please. Well, there's a school of thought which says you shouldn't say please, and in fact, you shouldn't teach your children to say please because you're teaching them to respect the machines. And yeah. um, okay, and there's another school of thought which says maybe we should teach them to respect the machines. And Google recently, it added a function called pretty please, right? Which I find a bit sinister. Where if a user says please or thank you, they will get a delightful response from the speaker, which starts with, it'll say back to you something like, thanks for asking so nicely. And then it'll say your answer. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But um, I think you're very lonely, aren't you, if you need that from your Alexa? I Yeah. Well, also, you don't, I don't say please or thank you in the hope that someone will say thanks for asking so nicely. Mm. I think there should be a slightly nicer tone of voice it uses for you. And you should get a slightly <laughs> ruder tone of voice back if you don't say please or thank you. I think that would be a good way of doing it. Yeah, or maybe it does things slightly worse. Exactly. Yeah. As in, the, the, exactly. the less you say please or thank you, the more you ask for it to play Bell and Sebastian and it plays Slipknot. Yeah, mm-hmm. it plays Bell and Sebastian, but it also just spits in the middle of the song. <laughs> just at the good bit. It puts you off. <laughs> Is this what your one-person parties are like, Andy? Just... <laughs> in a load of speakers. <laughs> They're all talking to each other. It's a social nightmare. They're all playing each other, Bell and Sebastian. I'm just wandering around the room with my drink, looking for someone to talk to. Busted! Play Busted! Come somebody play Busted! Um, do you know there's, there's a big split in the AI world at the moment oh, yeah. um, between the, I guess, the deep machine learning proponents which is most of what we usually talk about now so obviously you just feed it shed loads of data and it figures stuff out and then the other group called them called themselves gofi which i just like and the gofi is that stands for good old-fashioned ai oh okay and what's that so they're the ones who think that there needs to be a more of an element of programming and structure and human input and their argument is that you can only get so far with the um, machine learning because what AI tends to be quite bad at if you do it that way is kind of categories and hierarchies. So it can get incredibly good at knowing what a cat is if you show it a billion pictures of cats. Mm-hmm. You can spot a cat just by a little hair on its tail. But it's not very good at knowing, okay, a cat's an animal and a dog's an animal. So it'll see a dog and be like, that's the same as a cat. Or an mm-hmm. elephant and be like, that's similar to a cat in the sense that it's an animal. Whereas it'd be more likely to see something which is not like a cat, but has pointy ears and think, well, that's the same as a cat because it looks like a cat. Exactly, right. yeah. It's kind of like the difference between going to a foreign country and living there to learn a language and kind of being taught the grammar, I suppose. Phrasebook. Mm. Yeah. I actually do think that things like Babel are quite good uh, programs for learning. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you're I think you're got off so the clock languages. now. No, I think they're amazing. Um, Does it feel, Elon Musk says, we've got to be careful, AI is going to take over. Is it dangerous, A? And what's I? (laughs) (laughs) That'll be like proclamation number one for the robots, wasn't it? It's not A, B anymore. It goes A, I, (laughs) B, C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've forgotten my follow-up question now. Is is AI dangerous? Is Is AI dangerous? Yeah. 
And will it make us forget things? <laughs> Google, what was I trying to say, please? What was what? my second question? Actually, there's obviously a lot of debate as to whether Elon Musk's AI is dangerous and kind of specifically in driverless cars. And um, mm. I read this amazing thing from a few weeks ago, which I hadn't really seen covered until I went to research this. Uh, but there was a famous demo video of a driverless car in 2016, which I think I remember if it's the one I'm thinking of. And it was really well publicized, launched loads and loads of funding for driverless cars and lots of like excitement, like here's what they can do. And it's basically a video of a car driving driverlessly on its own, mm -hmm. autonomously um, and navigating traffic lights and stuff. Mm. But there's a person sitting in the driver's seat. And I remember we talked about this at the time, I think. Yeah. And it says under the um, video, the person in the driver's seat is only there for legal reasons. He is not doing anything. The car is driving itself. Yeah, I okay. remember that. Yeah. Engineer at Tesla's just come out and said he was driving the car. What? Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, That's weird. Isn't that mad? Because I thought that in 2016, Teslas did drive themselves for a shot. You could go on to They could, but it was doing you? stuff that they couldn't do at that ah, time. Okay. So, for instance, but, it was stopping at a red light. There was um, an AI that was programmed to play a video game, a survival video game. Okay. And they just wanted to see what would happen. And it, it got the highest score that anyone had ever got. But it got that by um, having lots of children and then eating them all. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Very and nice. it's just a classic way of the AI just finds a way out that no human would ever think of doing that, right? Was but, that a thing you could do in the game? In, well... They worked it out that it was a thing you could do. You had to eat, right? And you had a way of making children. And every time you ate something, you got more points. And so it's like, well, let's just keep making children. I got a fact about, that seems like it's about AI, but it's actually about cows. Okay. Yeah. Mm, okay. So there you are... still have spoiled the ending there for us, not <laughs> There's you? an AI that can eat grass and make milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. It's a, no, it's a, there are these smart dairy farms now, right? And yeah. they, what yeah. they, the point of them is that you can assess the health of your cows the whole time um, by filming them, right? And that's, uh, it's actually more useful than having a person there watching them. Even if you could have a person there working, you know, all the time. Um, and it's because you're scanning them as they walk and you can see if they've gone a bit lame, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the amazing fact is from the person who designed the system or co-designed it, it's called Melvin Smith, who says that cows hide their limping when they think they're being watched. Wow. Because they're prey animals and if they've got a bad foot, oh, really? they think, oh, I better conceal this. And they walk, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm just really? walking. Yeah, That's yeah. really interesting. That's you know, so some good. humans, like there are some humans that if you twist your ankle, you'll just kind of carry on walking and you don't want anyone to know. And there's some humans who will make a right song and dance about it. Thank mm. you. Yeah. Okay. Those ones who make a song and dance about it are the predators mm. and the ones who hide it. The Natural prey. prey. I didn't think I was a predator before, but <laughs> I make such a fuss whenever I've slightly turned an ankle or something. Yeah. yeah. Shows okay. how powerful you are. Wow. <laughs> this is actually a power move. And I'd like some peas now, please. That's um, really interesting. I was chatting to someone uh, on email for something else about um, an AI which has learned how to tell whether sheep are sad oh. or sick or something like that. Uh, and because if you look at a sheep, and you look at another sheep, it's really hard to tell anything about them because yeah. they just look like sheep, right? Yeah. Um, but there are very, very sort of micro uh, expressions that they have when they have sore rudders or they have, you know, sore feet or whatever. But the AI can scan them and can tell with 80% wow. accuracy which wow. ones are sick and which That's, ones aren't sick. Yes, it's like a gambling thing, isn't it? Like if, if you're playing poker against a sheep, you could use that. 
Yeah. Mm, it's like a gambler's yeah. tell. But I presume you could use that in poker. I presume that if you had that kind of technology oh, and you programmed right. it for people, you could easily tell who had what. In I suppose it's possible that humans have micro expressions. There must for, be a tiny, yeah. tiny fuck. And then, and then you know. Yeah, But so short that we yeah. can't see it normally. <laughs> Certainly, poker players think that there are certain tells that people have. Like maybe your your pupils slightly right. dilate if you've got good cards or bad cards yeah, or yeah. stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Right. No, I think mo- most people who are good at poker basically hide any semblance of that. And I don't think, I think AI is better. You're better off making an AI that has x-ray vision to see through the cards. With the farm stuff, though, <clears throat> there's with pigs, um, if you get sent a photo as a farmer of your pig, if it's feeling unhappy, it'll be like pig number eight is, is feeling down yeah. just by... What, by the AI? machines? Yeah, by looking, wow. yeah, really? it's incredible. Do you think the machines are trying to get the animals on their side before the apocalypse? Oh, yeah. Or McDonald had a farm AI. AI. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that snails use trails like we use roads. Mm. Do they get their mucus from a shell station? By any chance? Mm. Wow! See, it's because we Lovely. have in real life mm. where we get petrol from is called. You were doing as well. so well oh, with you. that. <laughs> AI, AI, AI. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, anyway, snails leave this slime trail, which obviously we've all seen and know about. And if another snail gets into that first snail slime trail yeah. and follows it, it takes way, way less energy for it to move. And when snails are moving, a huge amount of the energy that they're using goes into making this slime on which they kind of move. So I think the mucus production, the slime production cost of moving outweighs the metabolic cost by 35 times. Right. You know, they're what hard... does that mean? Sorry. So that, that means like, the... you know, if you're respiring and trying to move the way we, we move, that's the metabolic cost. But then on top of that, they're using 35 times more energy on just making slime to move. Basically... It, this is why snails have never made anything of themselves. It's quite tragic, really. What? <laughs> some snails, I read this, spend 60% of their energy making mucus. Right. Yeah. And it's just, there's no time. There's well, no time left in the so day. You spend so much of your life making podcasts, and I don't think snails think much of well, that. that's why I've never made anything of myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, that's what they do. They're snails. They make mucus. Yeah. I know. But if they didn't have to make all this mucus, I just wonder what, what kind of stuff they'd have going on. But, yeah. but, you know. but they can, as a result of the mucus, yes, it's a, a terrible amount of wasted energy when they're just trying to walk on say a flat surface but mm. they can climb walls they can go upside down that's yep. the purpose yeah. of it they're spider-man yep. we're just podcasters they're also making <laughs> roads for other snails so they're you know utilitarianistically it's actually quite a good thing for them to make yeah these you're paths. right it's yeah like... but i bet there are some snails who just get dumped with all the mucus making and there are some real coasters aren't there yeah. it's just like fucking barry again in my mucus trail and he's li- <laughs> I've literally never seen him make his own mucus yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he is you know he's doing very well for himself and his, the, um... his podcast is going yeah. brilliantly yeah. oh my god you rarely see a, a sort of you know, gridlock of of snails yeah. sort of traveling. I, I always see snails sort of quite isolated and alone. I think they've got very long stopping distances on the roads, <laughs> much longer than us. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I know. I do agree with that because, yeah. like, if you see trails in your garden or whatever, mm. it's not like you see a trail and then you see another snail following it. You don't yeah. tend to very much. True. true, and I don't know why because the obviously they're more effective at reducing the amount of energy it takes to move on them the newer they are. So if you're on a newly laid trail 
you know, your heart, you're, you're reducing your energy levels cost by about 50%. Yeah. And that's within a wow. day you've got to get on that trail. Right. That's interesting. Wow. If we humans had this ability, you could effectively <laughs> lay a trail. So I could, if I had my family to go out on a walk, I could go like, I'll go out an hour early. Let me just walk ahead. And then, <laughs> convenient. And then yeah. they, all, they all get on. Let's go on a nice walk. <laughs> well, I'll go at different times. <laughs> But they could catch up with me because it'd be like walking on a travelator. Okay, back it'd to the be house just, just as you finish your three-hour walk. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Oh, oh, thanks, darling. That was really great. Great walk. Um, <laughs> how are the kids? <laughs> Where are the kids? Um, I really like the fact that snails leave dotted trails. This is cool. Sometimes they do. And basically, there are lots of different theories I've read about why. One is that there's a, there's a kind of snail called the rosy wolf snail, which is a predator snail. Uh, and it hunts other snails by their trails. Oh, and obviously, if you get on the trail, it just you just follow it, and then you you know yeah. you, you eat the snail. And um, so that might be the reason. Or there's another guess that they're going over very rough terrain, and it would actually require so much slime to properly slime all the ground under them that they make a little economy there, and they just huh? proceed without making. Yeah. For every bit of I the like park. the idea that they're leaving gaps so that people can't follow them. That's a cool idea, I isn't think it? That's yeah. a nice idea because yeah. there was a thing, wasn't there, last year in the news where they found some someone was smuggling snails in an airport or something yes. and they found one snail yes. and then they just followed his snail trail back <laughs> and they found like a hundred more or something wow. like that. That's exactly wow. it. They were these giant, they're those giant African yeah. land snails. They're, they're absolutely mega and people import them to eat them. Yeah, They're really vilified, the African land snails. And in fact, they have a close relationship with the rosy wolf snails who I think are the most vicious snails on the planet. <laughs> they're, they're, so, they're, they're known as cannibal snails and honestly, look up a video of them eating other snails it's so frightening time lapse it must be <laughs> yeah yeah i'll put it on at least two times speed right. so they'll, they'll catch up with the snail by following in its trail the rosy wolf snail they'll sort of climb over its shell and then the snail obviously retreats back into its shell trying to get away and the rosy wolf just sticks its head imagine how frightening that is this huge head coming into your shell and sucks it all out it's grotesque this is actually a question that's been... I saw it online. There's a uh, meme question the other day. So the question is, you can have $10 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or $10 million no. quid. Oh, I don't right. want this bloody Malcolm Gladwell question <laughs> again. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can have $10 million quid, but if you accept it, there is a snail always uh, chasing you uh, somewhere yeah. around the world. Uh-huh. It doesn't ever stop moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always knows where you are, yeah. and it doesn't ever die. But what... Do you accept the money? But yeah. well, it's a killer snail. Oh, sorry, if it we touches you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and if it touches you, you die. Oh, okay. So yeah, <laughs> sorry, I missed out the only important bit of um, crunch. Problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's yeah. it follows the movie, isn't it's it? It basically. follows, but with a snail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't <laughs> think, better. I don't think I take the money. Right. Would you not? No, because I like peace of mind. Yeah. Couldn't you just? live half the year in Australia and the yeah. other half the year in the UK so just as he's kind of getting over the Tasman Sea you get on a plane is yeah, he is he actually, or yeah. she a clever snail in that respect if I boarded a flight to Australia oh could it board the next flight could it board the next flight <laughs> <laughs> was that what these guys were doing in the airport <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly uh, yeah, yeah it could yeah yeah it's a clever snail Ooh. oh okay. okay well that's a bit right. different because I think the whole point of it being a snail is it's going <laughs> to yeah. take forever to get to you yeah. oh sorry and it's got legs in it runs <laughs> and a knife <laughs> and it's six foot so well, yeah snail, snails are frightening I think thought. is what we've learned here yeah, yeah. Um, but actually sorry I did mention a connection between the African land snail which is a big bad guy because it's this big snail and it ah, destroys yeah. invasive species mm. and the rosy wool snail and that's because so in Hawaii there's loads of kind of endangered species of snail lots of types of tree snail and the African land snail rocked up and started threatening them 
And so in 1955, we did the classic and we thought what we'll do is we'll introduce a bigger snail oh, brilliant. to eat the African and land now, snail. You, I went to Hawaii a few years ago. If you go, there's just one massive snail. <laughs> That's the island, isn't it? Yeah. So they introduced another bigger snail. Yep, yeah, and the, it decided, the rosy wolf snail decided it preferred the taste of all the delicious tree snails that were really endangered to the African land snail. And it's now responsible for the extinction of at least eight native oh species. Oh, man. <clears throat> We've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop We've it. So some um, winkles, which kind of snail, um, they can read the slime trails of other snails and they can get all sorts of data from the slime, mm. the sex, the species, the direction it was going huh. and how attractive it is as a mate. From Ooh. its slime? Yeah. That's and clever. And if, if you're a lady snail and you're free of parasites, which is... Mwah, to a <laughs> to a male, there's a base, basically the Benny Hill show happens where you've got a load of male snails chasing you, and this happens so much that there are some they're called rough periwinkles. The females they can change the composition of their slime and basically turn on a cloaking mode where to hide their parasites. They leave well to hide the sex. Oh, they leave a sex-neutral sex trail oh. because they've got so many bloody male rough periwinkles chasing after them. Right. I think oh, I'm really? sick of this. I'm not interested. Oh. And so they change the slime. How cool is that? That's super cool. clever. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Like the, a phone box. Like a sticker in a phone like box. A phone box. Your snail what? is a snail trail. I don't know. I was just trying to think what the human equivalent is of leaving a trail <laughs> behind you advertising how sexy you are. Oh, those things in the phone boxes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a dated reference. I don't think the way they work is you go to one phone box and they say, right, now to the next phone box. And you keep going down the phone boxes until you eventually reach the prostitute. I, I don't think that's, that's how it works. That's, that's how it works. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. More yeah. and more clues every time. Yeah. Uh, one more number added to the phone yeah. number. But also, She's been here. But she doesn't then conceal her trail by leaving a gender neutral card in a phone box. No, no, she doesn't. Not that kind of Want trickery. an average time? <laughs> <laughs> We should move I, on in a sec. I just have some things on slime yeah. that I quite like. Um, did you know that to most of the inhabitants of the ocean, the ocean is slime? It's thick and, and slimy, viscous. Slimy, viscous. Yeah. Slimy. Um, what, to fish and things? This, to things smaller than fish, so yeah. I think to like plankton and microbes. And I don't think we know how it actually feels to them. But basically, yeah. this was an article. It was a new scientist in the year 2000. So look, maybe it's been completely disproven. But basically they found out that um, there are way more sugar molecules in the seawater than we thought there were. It's like this whole mesh of sort of saccharide molecules and they trap water in their mesh and that creates this kind of gel and it's cobwebby, it described it as. And so if you're a small animal going through that, because you're so tiny, that feels yeah. like really thick and viscous. And we think it must feel like that to them because if you look at how... Um, microorganisms are distributed in the sea or like plankton or tiny things they're not evenly distributed or randomly distributed they're sort of in clusters okay. because i guess some bits are thicker than others in this yeah. weird cobweb and so they can't plow through them and so yeah it's you're like just a little kind of bit of plankton going down the sea you mm -hmm. can't really swim because you're plankton that's the whole point of plankton yeah. but then occasionally you just get to a bit and you're like oh great this As is in, all slimy now yeah just, you mean great sarcastically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, is, can you climb through the water if you're plankton you can't, can't move at all you're oh, just man. you're Useless whatever the currents whatever do. happens yeah whatever oh, happens, happens. Yeah. no wonder they've evolved sarcasm as a trait <laughs> 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 what's plankton's most powerful weapon <laughs> <laughs> a 
Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that Italy's defence minister was once hospitalised for smoking 150 cigarettes in a day. (laughs) Was it a challenge? What was it? Was it a competition? I think he was very stressed. It was during an election in 2013. It's a guy called Guido Crescetto. Uh, and anyone who follows Italian politics will know that quite recently the Brothers of Italy have um, have won an election or become the biggest party and uh, they formed a government and they're kind of like the Ukippy nationalist mm. party of Italy uh, and Guido, uh, who I think was the leader of uh, Brothers of Italy at the time in 2013, uh, he was electioneering and apparently had one cigarette every six minutes from 8am till 11pm Wow! Uh, and started feeling not very well and had to go to hospital. Wow. wow. Uh, but then after a few days, he was fine. Okay. What, what does that do to you, that level of intensity? What did they diagnose him with? Well, Just... he felt that it was stress-related as well, I think. That... <laughs> oh, yeah. So do you drink? Oh, I just have a sherry at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> do you smoke? Well, you know, just, just 150 a day. Just <laughs> every six minutes. Yeah, so. I think Definitely he... the stress thing, though. And I, I live quite near a main road. So. <laughs> Can I unpack the six-minute thing, though? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. is that including... Is that post finishing a cigarette with a six minute break? No. So every six minutes he would have had to have started and Start. ended for the mouth to work. How long does it take to smoke a cigarette? A few minutes. You have to go quite yeah. quite quickly to get through one in three or four minutes. He might though. not yeah. have got to the to the filter in all of them. Right, right, yeah, because you're busy. <laughs> it's stressful. You're campaigning here. Yeah, yeah. I tried to find any evidence anyone had ever smoked more than this in a day. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you guys found Stefan Sigmund. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> right. But he's called Sigman. Oh yeah, cool. oh, yeah. Wow. Stefan Sigmund, Sigmund, Sigmund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's close enough. Anyway, in 1996, what he did, he um, he was trying to get a Guinness World Record, apparently. And it's there are some people who say it didn't happen, but there is a photo of him yeah, doing no, it. It happened. Okay. He jammed 800 cigarettes into a wheel, oh. rigged them all up to a pipe, yeah, and smoked 800 cigarettes in six minutes yeah and it was a rotating wheel and the <laughs> the idea was that he'd be able to get a little bit of all the cigarettes oh, wow. the people who said i think it definitely happened that oh. i think most people who say that it didn't happen were, are more saying that he couldn't have got much from the ones on the outside of yeah. the wheel oh, <laughs> right. okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that surely wasn't accepted as a well guinness, a guinness said it was not environmentally friendly yeah or which is one, one good reason why it's not but yeah. no it's, it's yeah there. i read a newspaper article about him um because at the same time as doing this he also ate 29 hard-boiled eggs in four minutes (laughs) and he leaped into a lake from a 135 foot cliff all in order to get into the guinness book of records um but carol jones a guinness spokesperson said we do discourage this sort of thing (laughs) and suggested that he tried the record for collecting cigarettes instead of smoking them okay so yeah i wonder if he got any i wonder if he holds any for any of those events because it sounds these ones that he did it it was almost like an advert because it was in quite a lot of newspapers during the day and it was almost like it was an advert for guinness saying don't do these stupid (laughs) things because you won't get in the guinness book of records because it like listed a few things you couldn't get records that's mad um i was just looking at um tips for quitting if you're the 150 a day kind of person oh yeah and I just came across an article that I really enjoyed in The Guardian because it asked for other people's uh, ways that they'd found to quit smoking when the normal stuff didn't work. 
And so if the patches and the gum haven't worked for you, here's what some people recommend. There was Pete who got all... <laughs> I you were going to say you smoke Pete instead. <laughs> <laughs> just you... bury yourself in it. Right. Yeah, you yeah. can't... And on top of that, you won't be drafted into the war. <laughs> it's yeah. a win-win situation. Sorry, Anna. Pete, uh, Peter. Uh, Pete, uh, Peter, yes. He had all of his teeth removed. He smoked for about 40 years and he went to the dentist and said... stop you from being able to smoke? Because, I did that, not that on its own, uh, but he had them take out all of his smoking yellow teeth and then he had them all replaced with uh, fake teeth, which looked really good. Yes. And then he was like, well, I don't want to do anything to damage these fake teeth. That's a good oh. idea. Yeah. Incentivizing. Yeah, I like it. Oh, well, great way to quit. Um, Pull out all your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and replace them. Well, there's... Okay, here's, here's a different method then. Because um, they, they do a lot... Obviously, the warnings on the packet and then I think some countries have considered warnings on each individual cigarette in case you haven't got the message from the pictures on the packet which pre- you, it's no. in your mouth you can't read it no, unless you're right. you could create a, a cigarette that gives smoke signals <laughs> that say Ooh. stop smoking that's good like, like Gandalf that. kind of breathing out that shit sure. but he'd breathe out a um picture of a diseased lung <laughs> <laughs> the director's cut yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, well they kind of so in 2013 there were some researchers at Sterling who kind of did this they made wow. a packet of cigarettes which shouted at you when you opened the packet uh, it played an audio clip warning about the dangers of smoking Incredible. I think that's quite good because yeah. yeah. I have a um, I've got a a musical biscuit tin. Do you? Yeah, yeah. And does okay. it say stop well, eating biscuits, Fatso? It was a it was a Christmas present, and I'm still I'm still working my way through it because it's got loads of biscuits in it. But every time you open it, it's very hard not to play a bit of the tune because yeah. you move it. Just you know, you yeah. move it, and it does, it's quite delicate. And so, and it does. It's more made me stealthy about opening the tin because oh, I don't I want see. I don't want to give away the fact that I'm um, yeah, yeah. eating biscuits. Eating biscuits. That's you quite know. clever. I don't want my neighbours to hear and come over and say, "Hey, can I have a biscuit?" You know? Well, so you think you're going to be like an ice cream man. Your neighbours are going to hear <laughs> a song of biscuits. Very close to my neighbours. We're great friends. But, right. you know, you've got to keep got to keep some things private. You've got you? to have some boundaries. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I think that's one of them. <laughs> um, I've, just one guessing game for just one other way to quit smoking. Yeah. One woman said, convert from when you're drinking tea, convert from mugs to a cup and saucer. She said this is what made her quit. So she would have had a ciggy with a mug of well, tea. Very good. Yeah, but it's good to put your cigarette in the saucer because you've got something to rest it on. It's like a mini ashtray. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, a mug, your... a mug, a mug. What's the difference? Um, Does the mug have, like, because they can have writing on them. Does it say, mmm, a lovely fag? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She only had pro-smoking mugs. Yeah, they used to do um, big business in them. I actually think she might be using a cup and saucer differently to how we might use one for this to work. Or she holds them in both hands exactly. and you've got no third hand free uh, for your tea. That's uh, clever. It defeats exactly. the object of a cup and she saucer. She got rid of should... all the tables in her house. <laughs> yes, yeah. So Sorry, she had to hold that. them. She yeah. moved to a mountainous region <laughs> with no flat surfaces at all. None. Just one cup, one saucer. It was a huge sacrifice, actually. She only smoked one a week. Right. That's amazing. So there's a big movement these days, obviously, for trying to stop people from smoking almost altogether. So a lot of people on top of that are trying to erase their relationship with cigarettes particularly for big companies um so the example i have walt disney walt disney supposedly used to smoke about three packs of ciggies a day and if you used to go around walt disney world uh disney world you would see 
pictures of him holding cigarettes and so many shots it's just he's got a ciggy in his hand and what they've done is they've photoshopped out every single cigarette that's ever found in a photo of Walt Disney at Disneyland so wherever you go the photo is still the same photo but the cigarette is now missing do they put something else in his hand no they don't so Um. that's the thing you've got this weird little point thing make it a pencil yeah. Well, so easy. What they've done mm. instead is every member of staff is trained <laughs> to do the Walt Disney point with their two fingers. No. So no that way. normalizes it. Yeah, and this is what? even used in the movie where Tom Hanks plays um, Walt Disney with the yeah. the Mary Poppins movie that was done. Yeah. It looks a bit like he's doing gun fingers. It does gun fingers, doesn't it? Or like it? you're swearing at someone if you yeah. leave a gap yeah. in the cigarette. Exactly, if you have a tiny gap. But so members of staff are specifically trained to do the Walt Disney point, which he never did. Because he had a ciggy in it. And when do, when do you time. do it? Do they tell you when to do it? Or is it just every five minutes you have to do it three times? I think probably if you're pointing somewhere, maybe. It's, like, it's just over there. <laughs> maybe um, if you're a bit stressed after sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a cup of tea. Yeah. Um, so cigarettes don't smell very nice to a lot of people. Agreed. Yeah. They smell pretty horrible to a lot of people. Agreed. To a lot. I suppose it depends if you're a smoker. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. But have you heard of nice cigarettes? <laughs> These, were <laughs> These were launched in 1989. Um, they were called the, the, the that wasn't the official brand name I can't remember the official brand name but it was basically the first cigarette to smell good was the idea mm-hmm. um, and it was they burned with a vanilla smell and they were advertised under the slogan you shouldn't have to leave the room you shouldn't have to apologise uh, <laughs> oh yeah well that's just going to smell like a vape which I must say I'm not a big fan of either well it sold terribly and yeah. they, like there have been a few attempts but they were all the kind of proto-vape things so premier smokeless cigarettes was another kind they were tested in 1989 um, and smokers and, didn't like them. Well, customers who tried it complained that it smelled bad, lacked flavour, and it was too hot to touch. <laughs> and industry experts noted that it could also be used to smoke crack. So <laughs> it didn't make it off the testing line, really. Right, that yeah. Wow. That's th- <laughs> but apart from that... That's the thing. Smokers like the smell and taste of yeah, cigarettes yeah, yeah, yeah. and have never liked stuff that doesn't really taste like it, really. Except the occasional eccentric smoker who used to smoke menthol cigarettes. Mm. Um, just lest we think that smoking is on its way out ASAP, it's going up worldwide in terms of number of smokers. Wow. And that is related to the population going up. But still, it's the biggest cause of preventable deaths in the world. And by quite a long way. because. Really? I actually didn't look up the second biggest, but I always thought of like things like car crashes are really big, and other things are around alcohol. Kil- even like, I-, I wonder how. I wonder if they can measure alcohol. Yeah, um, snails, you can. You've got snails that <laughs> following you around for your ten million quid. That's actually ironically hot on the heels of smoking. <laughs> the whole point of that is it's not preventable. That's like literally yeah. you just can't stop the leading it. inevitable cause of death. <laughs> Obviously, um, smoking has been banned in various places over the years. Uh, and in New York, it was banned in 1908, mm. smoking, wow. uh, but only for women. Really? Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was unladylike? Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Pretty much that. that they hadn't it, invented that Audrey Hepburn long cigarette <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Had they? That mm. came down later. Yeah, it was a very short-lived ban. Basically, in 1907, there was a cafe, a very trendy cafe in New York, that allowed women to smoke because usually people, women didn't really smoke in 
in public very much because it was seen as unladylike. Uh, but this bar decided, actually, we don't care about that. Anyone can smoke if they want. Wow. And then it was really, really popular. And so a load of other bars started to let women smoke in there. And the politicians didn't like it. There was a um, politician called Timothy Little Tim Sullivan. And he decided that he was going to ban smoking, uh, even though he had personally never seen a woman smoke. <laughs> right. He still decided he was going to ban it. And they did ban it. And wow. there was only one woman, Katie Mulcahy, uh, who was the only person who was cited for violating the crime uh, because a few weeks later, the uh, mayor of New York vetoed it, said, actually, this is ridiculous. We're going to stop this. Really? But for two oh, weeks geez. and for one woman in New York, <laughs> it was cool. illegal. That's cool for Katie. I bet that got her a good reputation. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see, we were just mentioning Audrey Hepburn had, you know, those those beautiful... What Cig- were they called? Cigarette holders. Right? The cigarette holders, yeah. Did you see the inventions of Robert Stone, who, this was in the 1950s, he just tried to come up with new and innovative ways to make smoking a more pleasurable experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so he invented these holders. There was one brilliant one where it was for if it was raining and you wanted to have a ciggy. Um, it had just a little umbrella that hangs over Aww. the cigarette itself That's off clever. the back of its holder. Yeah, it looked really, really clever. There was the periscope ciggy which would go upwards um, no no specific purpose as far as I can see uh, for the periscope Siggy if you're in a submarine yeah. and you want a fag what do you do because you can't go outside yes Jam but up the pipe. if you had a Jam massive up pipe going up <laughs> well we didn't see the approaching warship because um, Perkins was using the periscope to have a quick gasp ironically they found us through the lit tip of the cigarette um, th- th- actually, weirdly, until 2010, you could smoke in a submarine as well. Oh yeah, yeah, really? it was. Yeah, there was there was a room. There was a smoker's room in submarines, and wow. you could smoke down there. Space is at a premium on submarines. Yes, yeah. it is amazing how geared everything was towards smokers needed spaces because so many people smoke. Yeah. Interesting yeah. thing is the Beatles had a white submarine, but it just got stained by all the nicotine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that's my fact. My fact this week is that, actually, we've all been pronouncing Covent Garden wrong. Okay? Come on, Dan. Mm. All right? What are you on about? Everyone? All of us, or have you been doing it right all along? On I've been doing it wrong as well. Oh, yeah. A different kind of wrong. Different kind of still... wrong. Still wrong. So I was looking into Covent Garden. I love where we work. Mm-hmm. I love this area. It's, it's full of incredible historical significance. And while looking into it, I discovered that the word is actually a bastardization of the word convent. It should be convent garden. Mm-hmm. That's how this mm-hmm. started. The very first mention that was ever made of convent garden was in the 1200s. And um, it was uh, in reference to the fact that this area was a lot of it was garden. And for Westminster Abbey, they had lots of vegetables and so on here. So this is prior to the big market and the reason it became a market. That's almost a... But wait, you've, you've explained why the garden bit's pronounced garden. But yeah. um, the convent bit is it well, was the garden it was, of a convent, right? Yeah, it was garden of a Got convent. It. There were lots of monks here and yeah, so yeah. on, and they were running it, and so it was oh. known as convent garden. This was basically a big old monastery around here yeah. that was a kind of attached to Westminster Abbey, which is not that close to here, which makes you think, wonder yeah. how that works. But actually, a load of monks lived here, and it was the dissolution of the monasteries, famously under Henry VIII, that sold oh. it all off, and then it became what it is today yeah is it i think i read i read this too long ago to, to be absolutely sure of it now but basically this was quite under underpopulated bit of london because there were two main bits of london which were the pa- westminster you know, yeah. the seat of power and then there was the city yeah which is over further east 
And actually, the bit in between was not really populated mm-hmm. at all. Not really. It was this sort of two bit yeah. system. I think and so. Yeah. I think it definitely went down population wise. Like it was a thing about the eighth, ninth century. Then it went down and then yeah, it came yeah, up yeah. again. But I think technically, Dan, you could argue you've been pronouncing it more right than us. Because, really? Well, you're pronouncing it with an, an extra R. Yeah. And what is R except half of an N mm. in Covent Garden? Well, he true. puts the R towards the end of the word. You say Covent, don't yes. you? Yeah. 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 Is there yeah. any other Covent? Do you get Covent anywhere else? Coventry? Yeah. Uh, Should yeah. that have been Coventry? Oh, my God. Oh, dear. Uh, or was it a place where witches lived? Mm-hmm. Oh, Coventry. The Coventry. Yeah. And yeah. that's why Hitler went for it. <laughs> yeah. right. Didn't Hated like witches, the witches. Yeah. Famously. Mm. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Not fair, fair enough. enough. <laughs> my, my grandma lived in Coventry. We won't be touring in Coventry anytime soon then. <laughs> um, um, yeah, Covent Garden Market was, is the main thing that Covent Garden was famous for, wasn't it? Yeah. For, yeah. for centuries. And um, oh man, it was so interesting. Such a cool time. <laughs> yeah. What period are we talking? Oh, centuries. <laughs> <laughs> which which particular, particular centuries? Oh, it started. I think it? it started being officially a market in 1670, didn't it? But yeah. it had been used as a market before that. Okay. And in oh. fact, still is today. If you if you wander out into the market from the office, oh, yeah. you'll find. But it's not your big fruit and veg. It's not the biggest fruit and veg market in the country anymore. Like no. it was from whatever year Anna said it was. Um, yeah. But, but they, they sell knockoff football jerseys. That's yeah. true. And those are sort of the vegetables of today, aren't they? <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Um, but the market porters were a huge thing, and. Um, there's amazing footage, there's footage from the kind of 20s and 30s of them carrying stacks of the baskets on their heads because okay. that was how everything was transported in the market. And they were slightly domed in the base so they fit on your head very neatly and they stacked really well. And have you heard of Basket Jim? Basket Jim, no. is that a person? No. It's a person, he was called Jim Sainsbury. I don't know if any relation, but he worked at the Covent Garden Market in the 1920s and 30s and there's footage of him doing 25 baskets in a stack on his head. Wow, unbelievable. There's stuff in the baskets, what? yeah. I don't know if they're full or not. I think uh, maybe for the show, for display purposes, they might have been empty. Yeah, yeah. That's still a lot, though, isn't it? It's, it's the balance is the main thing. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. M- It must be a different uh, family. Otherwise, surely Sainsbury's baskets would have that um, head-shaped <laughs> yeah. indentation. Yeah. <laughs> if you walk around Sainsbury's now, I think you have to put it on your head. You do, don't you, actually? Yeah. Do you know the first Sainsbury's was in Covent Garden, actually? Really? Interestingly enough. Yeah. yeah, it was on Drury Lane, just oh, down wow. the road from wow. here. There we go. Uh, and they sold, like, um, what was it called? Railway milk. That was their big seller. That was a disgusting. <laughs> you have to get up so early in the morning to see the trains being milked, but it's a beautiful <laughs> sight. Oh uh, the idea was that it came from like Devon and Cornwall, uh, but it came on the railway, so it's still fresh. Okay, right. Uh, the square was built uh, for the fourth Earl of Bedford by Inigo Jones, mm-hmm. the famous architect. In for international 1630s. listeners, Inigo Jones, I always feel sorry for because he's gone down in history as not Christopher Wren, essentially, in, in England, wouldn't you say? He's he basically the, ar- the other architect that's not Christopher Wren. Yeah, okay, right. he's a very he's, famous architect. Yeah, he, but he's just the second most famous architect. Sure. He was, <laughs> I'm sorry, Inigo, I just wanted to oh, say. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Christopher Wren, who... Designed St Paul's Cathedral. We should also say for international listeners. Yes. I don't think Christopher Wren is that famous outside the UK either. No. Or in the UK, to be honest. <laughs> and Inigo Jones is less famous than him, but still very cool and has a cooler name as well. Yeah. He does, he well, does. he he actually has a less um, fun name than one of the people he worked with. So he was um, he worked under James I and Charles I mm-hmm. uh, alongside the official royal stone master, uh, who was called Nicholas Stone. 
Cool. Nice. Oh, Amazing. That's really good. Stonemaster. Uh, yeah, the wow. Stonemaster. What would the Stonemaster do? Well, he would have worked with stone. He would have worked with was he, he was nicking stone. He as was well. a sculptor, for yeah. sure. So nicking it. His Nicholas, yeah. Nicholas Stone. Nick Stone. Yeah. Very good. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and Inigo Jones was more famous, no, less famous, but quite famous for being the first person to do a survey of Stonehenge. Speaking oh. of stone. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. Sound, uh, but he did say that it was a Roman temple. <laughs> Oh, Which it wasn't right, all. Yeah. and that's why he's only the second most famous. Because Christopher Wren would have got that straight away. He loved Roman stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, the sad thing, another sad thing about Inigo Jones is that um, he, the main thing he had to do, really, in this square, he was asked to build a square fit for gentlemen with ability okay. uh, by the Earl of Bedford. This the is ability six- of being able to carry baskets on your head. Yeah, <laughs> it's for just for the basket carriers. Yeah, and the living statues. No, it's basically for really posh, rich people, and so. The only thing they wanted, they wanted a completely bare square. So it was the first time London had had this, a huge expanse with nothing in the middle. So, right. you know, you could promenade about it. And then with a church in it, and it was St. Paul's. And the church still is St. Paul's. So Christopher oh. Wren designed St. Paul's Cathedral. Big F off, uh, beautiful cathedral down the road. And then he designed little St. Paul's Church on Covent Garden. It's wow. still there today. But St. Paul's Covent Garden is better in some ways mm-hmm. in some ways because mm. it's uh it's a reverse church it's Ooh. a reverse it's church. where god comes to worship me yeah <laughs> right yeah <laughs> it's um <laughs> yeah the church authorities aren't very happy about it actually uh it's sacrilegious but it's no it's a it's a wrong way church isn't it it's a wrong way around church because right. well, basically churches have their doors at the west end and then the east end is the bit that faces towards jerusalem that's how churches are laid out yeah right? mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's just that's how churches are. But he, because he wanted the doors to open onto the piazza, because it was yeah. the first ever piazza that we were going to have in the UK. Very exciting. He wanted these huge, great double doors. So he built them like that. And then the church said, absolutely not. You're going to have the altar at the east end and you're going to have the door at the west end like right. normal. And so the doors are, are kind of false doors. But oh, and then there's really, a real door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. makes so okay. much sense because the back looks so much like a front kind of thing with that church. It's, it's a, a bit confusing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a reverse Percy church. So do all churches face Jerusalem? I, not all of them, but the no, idea but is the that plan. they face east because yeah. that's where you're looking, and Amazing. that's where you know when you're praying, you're you're sitting in church facing the front, you're facing towards Jerusalem. If yeah. you're ever lost, yeah, in a town, go to the church, whichever <laughs> way it faces, just walk in that direction. If I'm on my way to Jerusalem, <laughs> you'll get to Jerusalem <laughs> yeah. eventually. I'm the squeezy Jiff lemon. We uh, owe to Covent Garden. Squeezy Jif wow. lemon. Sorry, there's a lemon juice product called Jif, and it comes in a bottle that looks like a lemon. It was invented by a man called Edward Hack in 1957. <laughs> um, not as not an original idea, but no, 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 it was. That's that's just a joke. Um, supposedly, he nice. he looked at the whole every lemon there was in Harrods and Selfridges of Fortnum and Masons, and then he looked at 900 individual lemons at Covent Garden to find the perfect lemon. To base his oh, lemon I on. see, because it's in the shape of a lemon. It's in the shape mm-hmm. of a lemon. Uh, okay. Yeah. I That's thought you were going to cool. say he looked at them all and made an average of all of those shapes. <laughs> no, I think he just found one unbelievably nice a lemon. Flawless lemon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, I don't actually find any one lemon more attractive than any other lemon. <laughs> but Do that's you just not? me. Yeah. Ah. James, you've got no heart. Yeah. <laughs> there was a place called the Rose Tavern, which I think was the best place to hang out in the 1700s. And um, it was where criminals, highwaymen, prostitutes, or, great. but then actors, poets, 
artist Samuel Pepys spent a lot of time there. He said he really liked the food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you going to the brothel again, Samuel? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going for the sausage rolls. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The fish and chips is honestly you, done. I just like that simple pub grub <laughs> and the topless woman who serves it to me. Isn't it, um, there's Rose Street up there. Is it there? I think it, it might Rose be. So I think it is still there. There's Rose Street and then just off of this some floral passage or something. Yeah, it's yeah. Floral. Floral oh, Lane yeah. or something. So, Probably. Wow. Okay. And they had the people who sort of performed there had amazing tricks. So there were topless women would wrestle there um, as, oh, yeah. a, as a thing. And you could put bets on it. Uh, it employed lots of posture moles, which I'd never heard of. But <laughs> posture moles. I don't think you're going to guess what this is. In I, well, it's obvious, days. isn't it? You dig down a hole into someone's garden. <laughs> and then when you come out, you sit straight. Oh, it's, yeah. like, um, it's like this, um, yeah, like the Ethel conductor, Smythe. Ethel yeah. Smythe, yeah. tying herself to a tree to yeah, improve okay. her posture. Okay, no, I don't mo- think it would have got as much custom in the pub if it was your version, but it would have been closer a, a to. Mole is a, is, a, is a prostitute of some kind. Isn't oh, it? Mole. Uh, I see. Mole, yeah. Because yeah. Pos- oh, I heard that Posture Women was a nickname for the uh, the women plying their trade. It around. probably is the same. Maybe it's Posture Moles, Posture Women. But these people uh, used to emphasize that they were not prostitutes, but what they did was they would be paid by the clientele, Samuel Peeps, is either to be flogged or to flog them, one of those in public, oh, yeah. in front of people in the pub. In and public? Then, <clears throat> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I know, sexy. That is saucy. Well, I guess uh, a, a strip club these days, it's all in the open, isn't it, as well? Yeah, they don't have a cat of nine tails. Oh, Dan okay. always asks for the whipping. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 300 years, Dan. Oh, 300. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, but the, the way they advertise who they were to say, you know, I'll whip you if you want, was they would lie naked on a table and a waiter would bring a lit candle on a tray over to them and they would simulate kind of having sex with it with the climax being that they would snuff the candle out so wait a minute until that had happened you just think it's a normal (laughs) naked woman lying on your table and then as soon as she blows out the candle having pretended to have sex with it you're like oh you're a prostitute (laughs) exactly you're not you weren't just passing and felt like a lie down it's a bit like when you go to tgi fridays and you tell them it's your birthday They do that in some oh, branches. So, no one's. T- oh, they've told them it's my birthday. They're gonna do the thing, aren't they? Oh, it's so embarrassing. Sex. He's only Wait. six. <laughs> that was not what ChatGPT suggested as a good idea for a party. <laughs> Are you saying they snuffed out the candles? I think with, with their. their um, uh, yeah, yeah, with, with sort of their nether regions. Apparently, they. Blimey. In fact, the the quote was snuff but, out the candle in a highly obscene and hazardous manner to roars of approval from her audience. Okay. It's quite, you know, like if you have a candle and you manage to put it out with your fingers because you lick mm. your fingers. Yes. And you, yeah. It's a bit like that, isn't it? I always feel Questions. really hard when yeah. I do that, like Danny Dyer or Russell yeah. Crowe. Well, imagine, imagine doing that, that with your fanny. Oh, <laughs> maybe it's sort of like a downstairs sneeze. <laughs> Possible. All my other yeah. Covent Garden stuff is so tame. I found a record that was broken <laughs> at Covent Garden, but... Was- Most candles snuffed out with the <laughs> vagina. Yeah. It was how you'd end the night there. <laughs> Put out all the lights, honey. Oh, oh, pick, up a, pick up a naked woman to slowly dip her over every single. <laughs> oh my Sorry, God. which record? Most medium hamburgers eaten in one minute. <laughs> 
Medium sized or most? I don't know if they medium were medium sized. I don't know if they were medium sized or medium coats. Oh, had they come from the you know from the dead realm? world? <laughs> they were medium sized ghost hamburgers that have been cooked somewhere between rare and well done. Right? Okay. Anyway, do you want to know how many what? was it? Four. Four. It was four. <laughs> Which in one minute, long? in one no, minute, as impressive yeah. in one minute. That is yeah. by a bloke called Furious Pete from Canada. <laughs> Furious <laughs> Pete, very nice. Oh dear. Uh, um, TGI Fridays was mentioned a second ago. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a road called Maiden Lane, and right at the bottom of Maiden Lane, on one end, opposite on, on the corner of Bedford Street, there is a building there. And if you look up on the building, you'll see a plaque, and that plaque reads that Charles Dickens used to live here in the workhouse mm. when he was a young boy. And I was looking into it, and that building was, it was a sort of a working house, and he used to work downstairs putting black polish into tins, and, you know, you would sell that. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's where there used to be a TGI Fridays on there the was. bottom. There was, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that would have been the spot where Charles Dickens, as a young man, was put in the front window of the building, because wow. what they used to like to show was how boot polish was going in fresh, so it looked like you're getting the best sort of stuff. Oh, really? And he, was, he would sit in the window with his best friend at the time and they would both do it together and his best friend was called Fagin so Fagin and Dickens used to sit in the window yeah, that's cool. doing the thing right and that and became it, a TGI Fridays and that became a TGI Amazing. Fridays it's what it he was, would have um, wanted it was the best of foods it was the worst of foods <laughs> <laughs> predominantly the latter <laughs> <laughs> it was the best of foods it was oh, happy Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep, you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of the previous episodes are up there, so do check them out. And also check out Club Fish, our private members club. There's lots of fun behind the scenes, extra of shows and all sorts of little bits up there to check out so do that uh, or just come back here next week we'll be back again with another episode we'll see you then goodbye